0: Well, this morning, I want us to dive into one of the most awkward and unusual passages in all of the gospel according to Mark. And I want to begin with this sort of observation, and I want to invite you to sort of think about it with me. And here's the observation. I have noticed that our world is full of enemies. Have you noticed this as well, that our world is full of enemies? In fact, this past week, I was thinking about some of the great enemies, some of the great conflicts through human history, and I just wanted to show you a few of them this morning. I think about this great conflict between good and evil, or if you are a meat eater, good and evil, You've got the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. There is a battle between good and evil. There are enemies. Or how many of you are fans of the late 80s, early 90s TV show Seinfeld? Anyone in here want to go to heaven as well? Okay, fantastic. I think about this great enemy situation. You've got Jerry. And who's this, everybody? Newman. Newman. Gotta say it like you mean it. You got enemies. And then, of course, if you're like me and your doctor says, hey, your metabolism isn't like what it used to be, you need to change what you're eating, otherwise you will look like an unmade bed or a fridge on wheels, I mean, you know, whatever the phrase is, and boy, he was brutal, whatever it may be, then maybe your enemy are these. (sighs) Get thee behind me, ah, ah. And then, of course, this morning I was talking to Andy Gaither in the booth, and he goes, oh, let me show you a picture of what his youngest son, Logan, who is a college student, whose metabolism is amazing. He texted, I'm not making this up, he texted Andy this picture yesterday of Logan's lunch at a restaurant. Are you ready? French fries, and if you can't tell what this is, it's a hamburger with cheese sandwiched between... Donuts. I mean, some of you, your heart's like blip and blip, ran away on that one. So not only are donuts my enemy, but so is Logan and everyone else who has a great metabolism. I and mean, this is a world full of enemies. Have you noticed how we have enemies everywhere? And then we begin to use words like, well, we gotta fight the enemy. We need to battle the enemy. We need to oppose the enemy. But, you know, it's not just reserved for some of these more trivial matters. I I think about in our culture, right now, in America, if you were to say, are there any enemies in America, you'd say, well, yeah, just which category are you thinking? So let's just go through a few. Uh, In politics, do we find enemies in politics, church? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you are a Democrat, then who are your enemies? Some of you don't know this. Okay. You don't watch politics. Praise God. You must have a great low blood pressure. Again, mine's too high. I got to stop. If you are a Democrat, your enemies are the Republicans. If you can just push them out of office, push them away, then everything will be okay. But if you are a Republican, then who's your enemy? Well, it's the Democrats. Well, I had more of those in here. Okay. Not in church. Not in church. Okay? And if only we could push them out, if you could just get them out, then everything would be okay. There's enemies in politics. What about in economics? Let's get off this just since lunch is not here yet. Okay? What about in economics? In 2011, this term was coined of the one percenters. Those who are in the top 1% who have the most income in America. And in 2011, there was this opposition group called the Occupy Movement. And so you have an economic enemy. Those who have more and those who have less. And then we become enemies. Or what about race? According to almost every poll conducted in the early 2000s, most Americans agreed that in the early 2000s, race relations were better than they had ever been and getting better. Yet, according to the most recent polls today, most Americans agree that race relations are worse now than they have been since, get this now, the turbulent 60s. Do we have enemies and do we have people ginning up Issues between race. Yeah, absolutely. Here's what I want you to know this morning two things. Number one, this is nothing new. In fact, we're going to rewind the tape in history all the way back to the first century, and we're going to look in on a relationship between the Hebrew people and their top enemies. They had a lot of enemies, but their top enemies, the Romans. Who came in and whenever they came into a new area to conquer, they would utterly destroy the people groups. They would attack them, they would pillage, they would rape, they would do whatever they had to, to squelch and put down any kind of opposition. And so the Israelites begged God for Messiah, for the chosen one who would come and liberate them from the opposition, from their enemies. So the first thing you need to know is this idea of enemies is nothing new. But the second thing you need to know is just as Jesus is going to recast their view of their true enemies, Jesus wants to recast our vision of our real enemies, Because your real enemy may not be who you think it is. And so Jesus is going to show that to us in one of the most awkward and interesting passages in the gospel of Mark. Looking at Mark, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, and we read, They, this is Jesus and his followers, his disciples, his Talmudine, those who walked alongside of him, to go where Jesus went and to do what Jesus did. By the way, that's what a disciple is, someone who goes where Jesus goes and does what Jesus does or does what Jesus did. And so they, Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, so night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones when he saw Jesus from a distance. He ran, fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Verse 9. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs just so happened to be feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep banks into the lake and were drowned. Now, those tending the pigs, verse 14, ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. Could you imagine that scene? If you were the hired help going to tell your boss what happened. Well, it was interesting. This is what happened. So they run off, and they tell, and they... Reported in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, I love this phrase, dressed and in his right mind. And so they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well, 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, though, did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has uh, he had mercy on you. So verse 20, The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning you would remove anything that would keep us from seeing your goodness and your great name, and that you, like you did so many years ago, Jesus, would free us from anything that binds us today, that we would not simply find forgiveness, but we would find freedom in you. We ask this now, in your name, amen. All right, so let's just kind of get the setting here. This is an odd story. Can we agree with that? This is a weird one, and for 21st century Americans, this is a skeptical story. In fact, if you are to listen to a lot of the literature about this, they simply say, oh, this man had an undiagnosed mental illness that they simply attributed to demonic forces. He was simply out of his mind. He was insane, and somehow Jesus psychologically helped him. The problem is, that is a very flat view of the Bible as a whole and the Gospels in general. In fact, we don't have time to look, but just go back over the first four chapters before this at the number of times people bring to Jesus people with different issues, and it distinguishes the different kinds of issues. Some come because they have physical issues. They are lame, they uh, can't see, they can't speak, they can't hear, whatever it may be. For others... We are told that they are mentally ill. They have some mental or emotional problems. And then still others, it says that they were demon-possessed. So the scriptures are differentiating the different issues being brought to Jesus, which means the first century people were not a bunch of ignorant bumpkins who didn't know the difference between demonic activity and a mental illness. So all I would encourage you, if you are one of those who struggles with saying this can be possible, is to simply recognize they are not quite as foolish or ignorant as many of us wish they were. They recognize the difference, and God would like for us to as well. And so this story, Jesus has just finished work on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, let me take you to a map. If you want to see this in your own workbook, page 5 will have this and a lot more in it but here's sort of the big idea chapters 3 and the first half of 4 jesus is working and ministering on the west side of the sea of galilee in an area called galilee everybody say galilee this is the hebrew or jewish side of the of the sea he's with his own people and he worked here Primarily in this little city right around here called Capernaum or the city of Nahum. Nahum was an Old Testament prophet. That's where Peter lived. That's where Jesus did much of his work. But we're told at the end of chapter 4 that Jesus, along with his followers, get into a boat and they cross the Sea of Galilee and they are beset by a great storm. This is what Mitch taught last week. Jesus, with but a word, though, calms the sea. Now, one thing you need to know. According to the ancient Hebrews, as well as in the ancient world at large, people believed that the source or the origin for evil, for destruction... For chaos was the sea. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. You find the God of all creation hovering above the waters. And the the Hebrew word there is simply, it was chaotic. It was without form and void simply means it was Chaos. And what does Jesus and God do in Genesis 1? They begin to tame the chaos, bringing light into the darkness, land where there was none, sky. He separates things. He orders things, days and nights, seasons, taming the chaos. Then in the book of Daniel, Old Testament, if you want to read this and scare yourself before you go to sleep, be my guest. Daniel has a vision where he is standing amid, in front of the sea. And in front of the sea, as he is watching in this vision, he sees Four different beasts, each one more grotesque and horrible, coming out of the sea. The sea is where evil and chaos come from. But the good news is if you go to the very ends of your Bible, we don't have time to get into it this morning, but if you go to the book of Revelation, we are told that in the new heaven and new earth, when God fixes everything, we're told that while there is a stream of life, there is no longer any sea. In other words, the place of evil of chaos is no more. God has won and has subdued it all. And Jesus, the kingdom bringer, Mark chapter 1, remember his first words are... The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He is bringing the kingdom into enemy territory, and he is pushing out the darkness, starting in Galilee. And then as he crosses over in the sea, this chaotic space is so tumultuous, and the disciples go, oh, we're going to die. He goes, oh, be quiet. See, and whoosh, he has power over the chaos. And now in chapter 5, we see the chaos of the sea poured into a human life because he encounters a man who was consumed, who was controlled, who was possessed by demons. Not a demon, but a legion of demons or many demons. And Jesus, as he does with all who are willing, frees this man from the possession of the demons. Now, Here's the interesting thing about this passage. Jesus frees a man, sends the demons into the pigs. The pigs go nuts. As a result, rush down the banks into the water, and they are drowned. The people of the city go, what have you done to our livelihood? Jesus, shoo, 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 shoo. And Jesus says, adios. He leaves. The man, though, Jesus says, stay and tell everyone what God has done for you. Now, we read this story and we go, okay, okay. What does that have to do with me today? Are you ready? Here it is. This, according to most scholars, is not simply a story of a man possessed, out of control, subject to some force, but it is a metaphor, as well as a real story, but it is a metaphor or picture of what is happening in the world Then and the world now. Here's what's going on. To the Hebrew people I already mentioned, their great enemy was what nation, church? The Roman nation, right? The Roman Empire. They come in, they put their boot heel on your neck, you are now under them. I have flashbacks. When I was in elementary school, I had a big mouth but not a big enough body to go with my big mouth. God kept that ratio as I got older as well. And so, there were many times I would mouth off to large people, and my dad often referenced watching from the back of his house, they had this big bay window in the kitchen, and he says the number of times they would have youth groups over when I was too young to be a part of it, and he would say, Josh, I would just see this little itty-bitty guy going across the yard, followed by not one, not two, but a legion of giant high schoolers with more testosterone in their pinky than I had in my whole body. And this is a picture of what Israel felt, that they were under the throes, under the oppression of a great force, and their view was, if only we could push out the enemy, if we could simply drive them into the sea, then all would be better, and this whole picture is actually not simply a picture of a man with demons, but rather the view that Israel has with their enemy and that we have with ours. We think the enemy is the human. The enemy is not the human. The enemy is that which is underneath. The enemy is that which is controlling, influencing, enticing. In fact, there's all sorts of Roman metaphor and, me- uh, and military language laden throughout this. Let me just give you a list of them, okay? So in this text, you'll notice there's a ton of Roman language for their military. First and most obvious, of course, is the word legion. Now that does describe that there were many demons in this one man, but legion also was the title or the name of the largest detachment of Roman soldiers, about 6,000 Roman soldiers. So this is describing the Roman army. Second thing. To the Israelites, the Romans were not just evil and horrible. They were unclean, like pigs. To the Jews, pigs were like to us, rats. If you ever see a rat in your kitchen, what are you going to do? I ain't going back in there. And to the Israelites, the Romans were like these infestation, these unclean, unwashed, heathen horrible people. And so do you know what the detachment of Roman soldiers in the Palestinian or Palestine area where the Jews lived, do you know what their emblem was? They adopted the image of a wild boar as their standard, as a way of saying, oh yeah, we are all that and more. They are the pigs. In addition to these things, that word Where it says, and a herd of pigs raced down the bank. That word herd, there is no such thing as a herd of pigs. If you see a group of pigs, here you go, are you ready? A group of pigs is called a drove or a drift, not a herd. A herd was the name of a group or band of new recruits into the Roman army this is a picture throughout let me give you just one or two more when jesus was told gave the demons possession he says he or gave them permission he says he gave them permission that is a greek Word and it's a military term, really, he dismissed them. This is what a commanding ar- army officer would do to those under his charge, dismissing them. And then finally, when it says that they ran into the banks, the, the pigs ran into the sea, that word ran into is actually the word they charged, which is what a Roman military presence would do into an area. This is all a picture of what they think their greatest enemy is. They think, well, if we can just get rid of Rome, everything would be better. And Jesus is saying, as bad as what Rome is doing, your enemy is not Rome. Your enemy is this dark force. Your enemy is what is under the surface. And so he paints for them in a real moment, a picture of what is going on behind Rome, behind the humans, is your real enemy. Here's a, I've always loved comics. Anyone else in here willing to admit you like comics or comic book movies or anything like that? Thank you, thank you. We'll join later for a book club. And so, here's the picture I want you to think of. In the old comic books, in the DC comic books with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, There was this villain, the goofiest villain, I think, out there, but I loved it. This villain was called Starro. Come on, that's 60s gold right there. Starro the Conqueror. It was an alien parasite that would latch on to the face of its host and control its host, forcing its host to do whatever it wanted. So if it got hold of Superman, all of Superman's strength, An ability which was used and intended for good was now twisted for evil and wickedness. For Batman with his brilliance and his fighting prowess, it was now twisted in service to Starro. And in fact, one of the greatest little sort of um, plot threads that I ever read was how do you free innocent people from Starro without harming the innocents who are attached to him? It would do no good to simply drop a bomb. We got rid of Starro, and you got rid of all the people. This is the picture of what Jesus is doing. He has come to liberate us from an alien, hostile presence whose goal is simply nothing less than to steal, kill, and destroy And if he had come with the sword, which is what the Hebrew people wanted, he would have expelled the enemy and killed those he came to save. Notice Jesus starts with the Hebrews talking to them and then goes to the Decapolis. This was... Gentile country, Decapolis, means ten cities. It was a confederation of ten cities founded by uh, Alexander the the Great. And then about a hundred years before Jesus, the Romans conquered the area. But here, notice this. Jesus comes to first liberate his people, but he is not going to leave anyone without liberation. He goes to all places. No one, no one, no one is a person that Jesus is unwilling to save. He just says, you've got the wrong enemy, folks. The enemy is not the person. The enemy is the parasite. Your enemy is not someone you can see, but as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, look at this phrase real quick here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, notice this, the rulers, authorities, Powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, our enemy is not what you see, it is under the surface. And so Jesus comes to simply fight the enemy and free the hostage. Quick question How many in here were once enslaved to sin? How many in here? were once under the influence of a dark force. Anyone else, have you been saved by Jesus Christ this morning? I see about five of you. We'll pray for the rest, okay? (laughs) Jesus came to fight the enemy and free the hostage. It does no good if in the process of fighting the enemy, you shoot the hostage. Jesus came to set the captives free. He quotes the Old Testament prophet. He came so that you would have life and have it to the full to be liberated from those things. Hear me now. You are not simply forgiven of sin. Jesus came to free you from sin, to bring you life. But here's what we do a lot of times. We end up freeing the enemy and fighting the hostages. Have you noticed this? This is what the people were doing in that city they had been doing this all along. They, they find this man who they can't control. And what do they try to do, church, to control him? What does it say in the text? That they chain him up, or they try to. In fact, we're told that they try to subdue him in verse 4. That word literally means to tame him. That's what you do to an animal, not to a human. Interestingly enough... The word in verse 15, we're told that he was a man possessed by many demons. He was demon-possessed. The Greek word is literally he was demonized. What is it that we do when we say someone is evil or when we attack other people? We are demonizing them. Which is interesting. Did you know that you can be demonized and still a follower of Jesus? I didn't say possessed. I mean demonized. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 5 where he says, Our enemy is the devil and he is going around like a roaring lion seeking those he may devour. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us, Don't you dare allow things like pride or riches or other things to warp your thinking because then you will have fallen into the trap of the devil demonized. When Jesus was talking about what he was going to do. And Peter did not like the plan of God. He said, oh, Jesus, you won't die. Don't, don't, don't talk that way. And Jesus says to Peter in one of the all, uh, all-time great burns of human history, get thee behind me what? Satan. He's been demonized, influenced, listening to not the voice of God, but the voice of the enemy understand Our battle is not against people, it is against the dark forces. So let me just give you real quickly here, how do you fight and how do you free? If our purpose is to fight the enemy and free the hostage, and that's why you're here, church. I don't know if you know this, but you, when Jesus came marching in and his kingdom was established and you became part of his kingdom as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have been brought into the great reclamation program of human history. So here's how we fight the enemy and free the hostage. If you want to fight the enemy, I want to give you just three things real quick. Number one, resist the devil. You say, what does that mean? Well, that simply means a few things. Number one, it means that when he speaks, you don't listen. Well, Josh, how do I know if he is speaking? Well, that comes from learning your Bible Listening to the word of God so repeatedly that that is what comes to mind. It becomes the holy filter. So when thoughts that are not of God begin to come at you, when ideas, with information, it is filtered out. And you can say, nope, that is not of God. Oh, that is from God, but that is not. You are able to filter it. You must be in your word. Church, I love you, but I can't read your Bible for you. You need to read it and know it and love it. Not as a user's manual, but as a love letter from God to you to say, here's who I am, here's who you should become, let's walk together. Pray regularly. If you want to know the voice of God, speak to God regularly. Resist the devil. Number two, let me just give you a couple more here. These are very simple, but I want you to watch for the devil's traps. You say, well, again, how do I do that? Go back to the scriptures. Go back to the truth of God's word and then get with a smaller community a small group community uh, a discipleship community maybe you want to gather up with some people here in the body or you have people at your coworkers or at your work with your co wherever it doesn't matter but get with them and digest reflect what scripture says hey what does it mean when he says this and, and how do I apply that and you will begin to identify where the enemy has laid his traps let me tell you something the enemy is much smarter than you and me He's been around a lot longer, and he's gotten a lot better at this than I am at stopping him. My goal is not to stop him from attacking. My job and your job is to simply identify the traps. And then finally, number three, seek God's plan. Seek his plan. Get to know what he's wanting you to do. Ask him. Say, God, what is it you want me to do? And when he says, this is what we're going to do, you say, I'm all in. I'm with you. I'm coming with you. Remember, because the disciple goes where Jesus goes and does what Jesus did. So you seek God's plan in all things. Jesus, what would you want me to do with my finances? Oh, wait, it's not mine. Jesus, what would you like for me to do with the finances you have given me to steward, to use on your behalf? Jesus, you've given me 60 years 80 years, 100 years, however many years. What do you want me to do with the years you have loaned to me? Using these things, God, how would you like for me to live? This is how we fight. Now, let me give you how we free people. We see this in the text. Are you ready? Verse 19. Interestingly enough, can I point something out here that I'd never noticed before this. There are three requests in this text. The demons... Jesus, may we leave this area and go into the pigs? And Jesus says, what, church? Yes. And then the village people, not YMCA, village people, but the village people come to Jesus. Some of you will get that later. The people come to Jesus, and after they've lost all their livelihood. I mean, 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of bacon. <laughs> As they come to Jesus, this is gold, folks. You'll get it later. As they come to Jesus, you're going, no, that's just bad digs. As they come to Jesus and say, please leave the area, that's request number two. What does Jesus do? He leaves. Then there's a third request. This man who has been freed and now clothed in his right mind, he says, Jesus, may I come with you? I want to be a disciple. What does Jesus say to him? No. Don't come with me. Can you imagine being that man in that moment? He's like, God, you just let the demons get their way and all these people who don't want anything to do with you, you've given them their way, but you're telling me no? Isn't it interesting that the first moment after being set free is a moment of obedience. To do even when you don't want to do what, you've been, what you want to do and you say, okay. And it's not because Jesus is capricious or mean but notice, if you want to set people free, Jesus says, here's what you do. First, go home to your family. Go back to where you came from. Just find the people that are around you that need to know Jesus. If you want to help free people, you have to be with people to free people, don't you? And then he says this, don't simply go but tell. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. If you want to free people, it is not you freeing people. It is simply you going and telling, saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once Suffered from debilitating depression, not because of chemical imbalance, but because I thought I had to be God. And he said, no, you're not, but I am. Trust me. And I found freedom. I once was subject to addiction, but now I've been set free. I once was subject to selfishness, but I've been set free. I once was all about life going my way and what I could get, and now it's about what I can give. You simply go and tell. You share what you have received. This is how you fight the enemy and free the hostage. So, here's the question. We're about to go into a time of prayer. And in just a moment, in about 60 seconds, our prayer leaders are going to come to the front and they are going to receive you in prayer. And, and here's what I'm going to share with you this morning. Every one of us is like one of these two groups in this story. Either we are the man who's possessed, possessed, And has been freed? Or we're like the townspeople who say we don't want anything to do with Jesus if he disrupts the things that we have. Those are the two groups in this room. And so what we're going to do is in just a moment we're going to go into a time of prayer. And and I'm going to be bold and I'm just going to say every one of us, will you this morning, will you this morning, will you this morning pray? Will you go to Jesus in prayer? Will you talk to him? And I'm going to be very bold. Will you please come this morning and not simply pray for yourself? There are people today that Jesus wants you to go and tell. There are people who need to be liberated, and he has called you to share. Here's the question. Who do you know who needs to be freed? Who do you know who needs to know Jesus? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to think for a moment. Who is that person that God has called me to go and share? Will you be bold enough to take the first step this morning and simply come and maybe with one of these prayer couples in but a moment, pray with them and say, Lord, give me opportunity and boldness to simply share what I have received. And maybe this morning you just need to come forward and say, thank you for freeing me. Listen, no one's going to pay attention to you. No one's going to be thinking that you've done something. If you come forward this morning, this is the perfect morning to come and pray. Because they'll think, oh man, they're praying for other people. You can pray for yourself, and they won't even know it, okay? But this is a moment where we get to simply come to the one who sets the captive free. And say, Lord, my enemy is not a different political party, or someone with more money, or this person who is this color or that group, my enemy is is out to destroy, Lord, give me eyes to see so I can fight the enemy and help free the hostage. In the power of Jesus, he will help you.